So let's hear it for uh, uh, Renis and Charlene for bringing us coffee this morning. How about that? So hey guys, yeah, feel comfortable. Uh, step out, grab a cup of coffee uh, as we get started. Um, we, you know, we're pretty casual here, so if you uh, uh, need that cup of coffee, I get it. Trust me. Um, I don't know what happened down there today, but apparently there was a, um, a coffee breakdown over at Starbucks today. I did hear when they went, uh, Alex went over, it was, they are pretty slam busy, so um, we'll give them that anyway, so, um, and they do give us the coffee, so it's kind of hard, a little hard to complain, but it would have been nice to have it earlier, because I haven't, I'm kind of, wish I had a cup right now, actually. Um, what's that? Yeah, why not? Bring it on. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, just a little sweetener, a little Splenda, or whatever that stuff's called. It's going to probably cause cancer or something. Well, uh, we're, we're going to be looking uh, at uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 again this morning. And so if you would turn there, um, we're going to be looking at these two verses again this week and next week in our series Breathe, Breath, excuse me. And uh, so it'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you or whatever. But I'm going to go ahead and read it and we'll jump in, okay? Um, so hear the word of God in verse uh, 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would um, show us the beauty, the splendor, and the usefulness of your word. And we uh, thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so uh, we're, we're doing a series called Breath. So maybe some of y'all have seen the breath mints in your, uh, um, your seats. And last week I gave you guys indispensable advice, if you recall, which was, it was, like the, it was worth the price of the sermon. All right? you, you didn't need anything else other than that, which was, if somebody offers you a mint, a breath mint, Take it. <laughs> and so, however, we're talking about breath. And, and breath is vital to life, isn't it? We do it all the time. It is regular, and we, we, we rarely think about it until we can't breathe, or we lose our breath, or we make our way up a flight of stairs, and we are out of breath. But breath is vital to life. And if that breath is polluted somehow, and the air we breathe is polluted or corrupted uh, or is toxic, the very breathing, the breath that we take can kill us. And so breath is important for, for physical life. Breath is important and, and vital for spiritual life. We're always breathing. We're always breathing in. We're always breathing out. In a spiritual sense. We're always taken in and very often given out. And so what we've seen is that what we need to take in spiritually, emotionally, intellectually needs to be good. It needs to be helpful. It needs to be good for us. And so um, what we've seen is that what the Bible claims is that it is actually Breathed out by God. And last week we said that where something comes from, particularly where breath comes from, 
is important, right? So if, you know, dog breath is bad usually, right? Or if somebody has halitosis, the reality is something deep down, okay? Some people just need a breath mint. Some people just need to clean up. But some people got a problem. Or dogs have a problem that no amount of little breath-chewy things are going to help. We said that the world, the breath that the world gives us is, is toxic. It's like dog breath. However, contrast dog breath to maybe puppy breath, right? Everyone loves puppy breath. It smells nice, right? There's something really appealing about little puppy's breath. And it changes somewhere along the line, doesn't it? So but we see that God's word, the 66th book of the Bible, the scripture, is breathed out by God. And what is breathed out by God but life itself, creation, creativity, beauty, love. That's what comes out of God's mouth. And that is what we see here, Paul claiming that, and declaring that God's word is God-breathed. And so it is immensely valuable. There was a guy recently, a few years ago, who uh, was buying, uh, I think it might even been one of those where you buy like a, a storage, you know, show storage wars, and he bought a bunch of junk. And in that junk was this metal egg. And he took this metal egg and he thought, well, maybe I'll get a, a few hundred bucks for it or whatever. And he couldn't even sell it for scrap metal. And that little egg sat around in his house for a little while. And one day he just got curious and thought, man, I'm just going to. And so he um, looked underneath the bottom of this egg and, and, and it had a name on it. And he typed that into the Internet. And it turns out that that little metal egg was one of three Fabergé eggs produced for the Tsar of Russia worth upwards to 33 million dollars that's a valuable egg right I wouldn't mind having that egg but here's the thing value doesn't always equate to usefulness. So it would be great to have that. So if I had $33 million, I could go buy, perhaps, this Fabergé egg. Or maybe if I had a million or whatever. There's a lot of Fabergé eggs out there that are worth a lot of money. There's some knockoffs that aren't worth a door weight, right? A door stop. But some of them are worth a lot. And, but here's the thing. If I bought that, what would I do with it? So valuable doesn't always equate to useful, does it? Not normally. Sometimes it does. Okay? I mean, maybe if you needed a, pa- a very expensive paperweight, or maybe it could become a doorstop, but it's an egg worth $33 million. And here's the thing, so God's word is declared as breathed out by God. And so we said last week, it is valuable. It's the difference between junk mail, bills, and a love letter from someone you deeply love. Right? We ask that, is is God's word junk mail to you? Or is it drudgery? It's like bills you're going to get to later, check it off the box, I've got to deal with those. Or... Is it like a love letter from someone 
dear to you, which you would hold dear, that you would memorize, that you would study, that you would remember, you know, you would rehearse it over and over again to make sure you got it. And that's what we said we would hope that at Vintage Grace, that would be our attitude and heart towards God's word, which is his very word. So, but it's not just valuable to us. Paul declares here also, it is profitable. And the word here, profitable, it means useful, beneficial, advantageous. So it's not just like a Fabergé egg that you can sit on the counter. And, and, you know, and some people do. There are Bibles that are worth a lot of money. There are Bibles that have been produced that are worth thousands and thousands of dollars now. Handwritten, hand engraved with gold and all this. And it can sit on the shelf and it can look beautiful. But that is not what Paul wants out of this. He is not declaring that it's just beautiful in and of itself and it should sit on itself. But it, it is actually useful and profitable to us. But you've got to ask a question, so how is it useful and profitable to us? And he tells us that as well. And Paul uses four, four, four words here to describe how it is useful to us. Okay, he says um, it is it is useful for teaching, reproof, correction and equipping. And those four words actually uh, make a two pairs. The first two deal with what we know, our thinking, and the, and the second two deal with our conduct, our lives. And there's a reason. So Paul didn't, he could have just said it's useful for one thing. But he brought these four words out. He, and he wanted all four of these. And he's making a point with all four of these, okay? And the first is, is that the Bible's useful because it teaches us how to think. The Bible teaches us how to think. Now, when many, when many people hear the word Bible, I, I did a little, did a little experiment when I was, I, we did this thing with my neighbors a while back. Uh, they named it Beer and Bible. And we, that's what it was. We would get together, you know, sometimes around a fire pit or somewhere, and we would talk about the Bible. These guys weren't, you know, believers, or some of them were Roman Catholic, all kinds of backgrounds. But most of them wanted to just learn about the Bible because they didn't know anything about it. And, and we would have a beer while we did that, or two. Uh, and, um, so I asked them when we started, when you hear the word Bible, what do you think of? And the answers were really interesting. One of, one of the guys said, a ruler. And I thought, what, were you like a, a king or something, you know, like a dictator? He's like, oh, no, no, like a ruler, you know, like with sticks, like, you know, you would measure something with. I was like, yeah. And he grew up and he went to, to Catholic school. And he remembers, when he thinks of Bible, he remembers the nun. At Catholic school, when he did anything wrong, would smack him really hard on the back of the hands with this ruler. I thought, man, that is a terrible view of, what a bad association, right? <laughs> terrible. Um, we give candy over there because the Bible's sweet, right? <laughs> the Jews did that as well. They gave, when, when, when kids would read God's word, they would touch honey on their lips. So it would be a, a sweet association. It makes it better, right? Better sense. They're like, ah, oh, the Bible, that's going to hit me. Um, uh, but other guys have been like, yeah, but it, it, for me, for a lot of guys would say, it just looks, it's just a bunch of rules, do's and don'ts, thou shalt's and thou shalt not's, 
You know, it's like, that's most people, if you ask them, what is the Bible? They're going to say it's a bunch of rules. Um, but Paul wants us to understand that it's useful for more than a bunch of rules and lists. Okay? Now, there are laws and there are rules, so to speak. There are guidelines. We'll get to that in a minute, in a little bit, in the Bible. Okay? But ultimately, what Paul's saying is, first of all, first and foremost, and I think there's a reason why he uses this word for us, that the Bible is useful for teaching. The didache is his word. And that word teaching for Paul was a big word. It's a word that he uses quite a bit to refer to the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of primarily what we call the gospel, the good news. And so this gospel isn't a bunch of rules and do's and don'ts. it's, It's a story, isn't it? It's a story that starts in the first chapters of Genesis and goes all the way through the Revelation. And it's a story of man's, uh, God creating man, got man falling and being falling away and, 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 and rebelling against God. And then the results of that. And then God trying to bring, begin to bring a people and, and gather a people together and that he would begin to restore and make his own people. But even those people rejected him. And then, so finally, God, dis- God chooses to send his very own son to redeem and restore people to himself. And even him was rejected by his own people. And, and then eventually taken, crucified, and, and dies on a cross, which would seem to be the ultimate defeat, right? But was God ultimately paying the penalty for that brokenness, for that rebellion, and that rejection, so that we could be restored to him forever. That's ultimately when Paul says it is useful for teaching. It is for us. First and foremost, the Bible is to teach us the gospel. And every page in scripture points to and directs us to Jesus. And what he has done for us in the gospel. Every page, even those weird genealogies and those places in Leviticus when it talks about this and that and, and these situations or whatever, it looks crazy. But believe it or not, those things actually point us towards Jesus. I used to hate the book of Leviticus. I love it now as I've dug in and see the foreshadowing and the pointing and the pointing of our need for Jesus and what it, how it foreshadows and points to Jesus. It's awesome. And so that's what Paul's getting at here. That um, that our that we would need to that we would that the Bible would teach us and tell us what we need to know and how we need to think rightly and that is ultimately shown in the gospel. Because what's the purpose of the Bible? It's not a science book. It's not a it's it's not a rule book. But it's actually its purpose. The purpose of God's word is that God would reveal himself to us, reveal us to us, and show us how we might be saved. That is the ultimate purpose of the Bible. And so ultimate, so first of all, it is profitable for teaching. And so the Bible is about transformation. The Bible is about us knowing the gospel and that that gospel would tra- transform us. If you take a look at uh, Romans 12, is, is, that in, is that up there? Okay, so pull up Romans 12 for us. Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
present your bodies as a living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Stop there one second. Notice he says, I, go back up, back up. I appeal, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And he's pointing back to the gospel truths that he has laid out and up to this point in Romans. Is that, that God, that his son died to pay the penalty for our sin, that we could be declared righteous and made right, that we could be even sons of God. He's brought all that out. And he says, therefore, I want you to be a living sacrifice, okay, that we would give our lives to God now, and that would be our life of worship. Okay, go on. And says, then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, what he's saying here is, we need to be transformed by being informed by the words of Scripture, by the Gospel. It's about being transformed in our minds first. And that, 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 that our, as we change our thinking, our hearts are affected, and then there's an outward action. And so it starts with this teaching. Okay? And here's the thing. You've got to have the right thoughts Get the right ideas in order to be doing the right things. Because just doing things, we can do things with the wrong motives and so on. So what Paul wants us to know is Scripture, first of all, teaches us how to think. So it's profitable for teaching. But it's also profitable for reproof. And this idea, reproof, is um, it tells us, okay, so teaching tells us what we should think. Reproof teaches us what, how we shouldn't think. <laughs> it's saying your thinking is wrong here. And the reality is that because we are broken sinners, by, and we are, we, we, we're broken, we're corrupted by sin, so we by nature think wrongly. Our thoughts are corrupt in very many ways. Now, by the way, this doesn't mean that everything we think is bad. It's possible for a corrupt sinner to have good thoughts, <laughs> okay? There, you can, the world is full of good thoughts. Problem is, they are tainted, they are corrupted. Sometimes the best thoughts, sometimes are just a twist of God's truth and making them very dangerous. And that's, that's why, that's, that's the whole reality of world religions. If world religions didn't have any element of truth in them, Nobody would believe it, okay? But, but, so that's where we need to begin to understand that our thoughts, our thinking, um, originate from a bad place. They originate from our sin and selfishness. And out of that sin and selfishness, our thoughts are ultimately corrupted. And so God wants us to, to, to recognize those things. To understand them so that we can begin to think rightly. So it's, it's a, the positive side is, here's what you need to think. Here's how you should think. And here's how you shouldn't think. Okay? And so, put it, put it another way. Our thoughts need to be put under submission to God's rule and reign. You hear that? Our thoughts... Our thoughts and intentions need to be put under God's rule and reign. This is why Jesus, in other words, we need to have 
kingdom thoughts. Not Russell kingdom thoughts. That's my normal thoughts is wake up and what's the kingdom of Russell today, you know? I wake up as Czar Russell and I'm going to determine the reality of Russellville. That's the reality. And instead, I need to get get up in the morning and, and submit myself and say, God, give me your kingdom thoughts. And so that's when Jesus, when he, his famous sermon on the mount, he begins to show us how our thoughts aren't quite the way they should be. And he actually lays out kingdom thoughts or kingdom ideas, kingdom living. Actually, I preached a sermon on those things where he, I called it inverts, living uh, right side up in an upside down world. Because Jesus begins to really challenge how we think about things. Blessed are the poor. We don't think that. I think blessed would be me if I won the lottery. Blessed are people who drive nice cars and have nice houses and yachts. That's what I think of as blessed. Blessed are the meek. No, I like blessed are the running backs that can run you over. Code dog, sorry. Um, Right? Blessed are the powerful. Blessed are the, the wealthy, the successful, the beautiful. No, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He turns our whole way of thinking about the world upside down. And that's just an example of kingdom thinking as opposed to our thinking. And so God's word is there to show us how we don't always think rightly. Secondly, the Bible, so it's just not thinking though, okay? Secondly, the Bible tells us how to live. It's not just about intellect. It's possible to know a lot about the Bible. I had a kid in our youth group one time. Um, he was, uh, had Asperger's, and he was, what do they call it, a savant? Is that what they're called? I mean, this kid was brilliant. He, uh, he literally, I, I, and I joke, I do not joke about this. He literally had the Bible memorized. I, he, I got onto him one time. I was like, cause, you know, we, we challenged the kids to bring their Bible. I was like, Are you, bring your Bible. He's like, I don't need it. <laughs> like, What? And I would say, okay, and he would tell, yeah, he, this kid was, he knew all there was to know about the Bible. He knew it intellectually, but it hadn't, it hadn't caused any real transformation and hadn't had any change in his life. And that's, that hasn't been true later in life, thank God. You know, he's really grown to be a cool kid, cool, cool, great, great guy who knows Jesus. He's awesome, okay? But the Bible tells us not just how to think, but how to live. And if you think about the Pharisees, Jesus, the, the, the religious leaders at the time of Jesus, when Jesus was on the scene, he was the most critical against them. And over and over and over again, he challenges them on issues. And he says, haven't you read the Bible? And they were very offended by that. He says it like 10 times to them. Haven't you read the scriptures about this or that? And every time he does, man, you, you can just... I mean, their faces are probably beet red, and they are ready to just, just, just stone him on the spot. Why? Because they knew the Bible. Pharisees prided themselves in memorizing huge sections of Scripture. They knew it intellectually, but they didn't take that and make it real. They didn't make it life. And so he's like, haven't you read this? If you've read it, why don't you do what it says? Why don't you listen to it? Instead, you're doing your own thing. 
But he really challenges them. So the Bible tells us how to live. And Paul's next word is actually a negative word. And he says that, the, the, that God's word is useful for correction. And this word really has to do with, it tells us when we're going the wrong way. So, in other words, so this word correction, this Greek word, it, it actually is the negative word for the word straight. So, maybe a way to translate it would be unstraightness. It shows us our unstraightness. Okay? Um, the Living Translation actually translates this, it straightens us out. It's one way to do that. So, God's word shows us that we are not headed, our life isn't going, our conduct isn't going in the correct direction. And that's helpful. You know, over in Fleming Island, I can't think of the name of the road, but it's right off of 220. There's a a little two-lane road. used to go back to Pastor J.D.'s house that way. You had to be really careful because at the end of it, the cops were always there waiting. Old Hard Road, that's right. And Old Hard Road, about halfway down the road, there is a 90-degree turn. People have died there. Because there's, at the time, I think they've changed this now, maybe, hopefully. But at the time, there was no signs, other than one little sign that had like a little arrow. There was, there was no signs to warn that if you're going too fast, you're not going to make that turn. Right? We like those signs. They're sometimes ugly. There's a up in South Carolina. We were, or, yeah, I think it was up in South Carolina. There's a like a turn like that on the highway. Uh, it's an off ramp, but it turns really sharp. And they have signs like I've never seen bigger arrow signs. I mean, they would fill this room, and there's like 20 of them going around this corner because probably so many people just drove right off that, and it, it goes steep off the end of that. And so many people have crashed there because there was no correction. And our lives need correction. Um, in our sin, in our brokenness, we're living a life that's headed in a bad direction. Sin leads to death. It leads to heartbreak. It leads to pain. It leads to broken marriages. It's strange relationships. Sin is the wrong direction. And it begins to point out where we would be. And so, but... Now, it doesn't just tell us where we're going wrong. It tells us the right way. And that's why Paul uses the last phrase he uses, is it's also useful for equipping in righteousness. Equipping in righteousness. It tells us the right way to live. Okay? Because yeah, you can't just tell people what they're doing wrong. I've tried that as a parent, and it's just not helpful. You Great, good parenting, and, and teachers know this better than I, and they practice this better. You can't just tell kids where they're wrong all the time. And that's my instinct as a parent. Be like, stop doing that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't, you know? And I'm gonna, you're going to be in trouble if you do that. Instead, help them see the, the right way to do it. Show them positive. And that, God's word so doesn't, is, is, God's word isn't just a bunch of don'ts. It actually shows us how to live. So, for example... Um, I, I made a mistake one time. I was watching this show a lot for some reason at, at, at a certain time. It was called uh, What Not to Wear. And I was watching the show, and I thought it was a good idea to practice that on my mom. And 
So I, we, I sat down with her one time. I was like, Mom, you, we really got to do something. Because, you know, we, we call them mom jeans, you know, and, uh, you know, it, just the whole thing, you know. I was like, Mom, let's, can we, and let me just tell you, she did not think that was funny, good, or anything, okay? That was not a good idea. <laughs> I, I, she probably would have killed me if I was not her son. <laughs> but on that, think about that show, What Not, what, what not to Wear. I don't know why. I mean, why I like that show, but it's. I think it's part because it is funny. If they find somebody who just dresses horribly, I mean, just almost comically, and they they bring him in, and they show a bunch of videos of them in public wearing like you know beat up, you know, uh, sweatpants or just obnoxious stuff, and they like you know and they show all this. And they embarrass the person in front of like a hundred people, and then then they take him into a room. And they start talking about all their clothing items, and they start trying to throw them away. Have you all seen that scene? And, of course, that always, there's always, like, the bat, the one thing, like, the one garment. No! Oh, I had that in high school. No! And they fight over it, and they, you know, they finally get them to give up, and they give them a gift card, and they send them out to buy new clothes. Guess what clothes they buy? Ugly, nasty clothes. <laughs> it's hilarious every time. And they have to jump out of, the, out of the nowhere and say, ha, we caught you buying ugly clothes, you know. And they get into this thing. And then they have to go through. And then they go out and they buy clothes for them. And they show them how to dress properly for their build or their fit or whatever. And they get to see it. And it's great because the people are like, wow, I look pretty good, you know. And they're just all happy and they get the makeover and all that. And they get, you know. So it's like that's a happy ending kind of thing. That's what God's word does for us. That's what Paul's talking about here. Yes, it corrects us. It shows us where we're wrong. But God's word also points us to the better way. Now, sometimes it's painful. It's a painful process. It requires brokenness. It requires self-awareness. And they have to admit, oh, yes, I do dress ugly. And my life is ugly. That was wrong. That isn't the right way. But then he says, but here's a better way. And when we start living out the, the better way, when we start living in the truths of the gospel, it's actually better. And you're like, wow, it's actually better to be selfless. I thought it was going to kill me to do the dishes. It actually was, felt pretty good. You know, I thought it was awful to do these things. I thought it was, you know, and so on. And, but the reality is it's better for us. So, and the, see, the gospel tells us the beautiful truth that in Jesus, you're not ugly. You, you, you're not ugly. Your clothes are ugly. But because Jesus died on the cross for you, he gives you new clothes. He clothes you with his perfect righteous record. The life that he lived, perfect selfless life, is credited, given to you. So now, God sees you as absolutely beautiful. However, we still got ugly clothes. And we got to start learning how to dress. It's like kids. Got to start learning how to dress themselves. I saw a picture. I, I wish I had brought it. It's hilarious. When, when Watts was like this tall, he could stand. He was actually, the pictures of him actually standing on uh, a bathroom counter. Because that's where we found him. And he... <laughs> He had two pairs of pajamas on, one, uh, one and then a pair of sh- shorts over it, a pair of underwear. Uh, I, I don't know how 
many pairs of clothing he had. He had so much clothing. He had underwear on his head. Like, and he was ge- geared out in the most, most clothing I've ever seen on a kid in my life. <laughs> and it makes me laugh now, but like over time, he's learned how to dress. You know? We, 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 he, would, he would go out in public like that. Just be like, yeah, helmet head, you know, with like underwear head. I'm like this, you know, superhero. And he would have no idea that that's probably not a good idea. Okay? So God's word corrects us, but also tells, tells us how we're going wrong, but how we're heading in the right way. So, let me, so I want to get practical here, last couple of minutes here, and just say, okay, how do we approach God's word then? Okay, how do we use the Bible and its usefulness? Okay, if it's useful, how do we use it? Now, there's a lot of approaches to coming to God's word. And one comical way is what some have called Bible roulette. Has anybody ever heard of this? It's a thing. People do it. Okay, they grab a Bible and they close their eyes and they flip it back and forth, and they open it up wherever it opens, and they, use their, they put their finger on it, and they read whatever verse their finger hits, and says, okay, maybe that's what God is trying to speak to me. And there was one guy who was particularly depressed and was like really hoping to get something from God. God, speak to me. I'm depressed. My life isn't going well. And he, he opens his Bible and, and does the Bible roulette thing, and, puts a, and it says Judas went out and hanged himself. He was really confused. He was like really distressed about this. He's like, well, I'll try again. And he flips it, puts his finger in it again, and it's Jesus saying, go and do likewise. And he's like, no, this can't be. So he flips again and again, puts his finger on the, on the Bible, and, and it says, whatever you do, do it quickly. And he's like, No! Okay, that's a funny joke about, but there's so many weird approaches to coming to God's word. So let me give you all a few things, how you guys can use what Paul said here and, and, and apply it and use God's word in a way that's actually useful and doesn't lead to suicide or something worse. Okay, so let's do these real quick. Number one, ask the question, what is the author saying? What is, what is Paul trying to say here? What is the psalmist trying to say here? Okay, so on. And so this is to prevent us from assuming what he's saying or trying to impose our thoughts in on this, okay? And this is where study comes in, okay? Because the best thing to be able to do is to, to listen to what God's word is saying, the, the author or the writer is saying in the particular context of the day. And so that we can understand as best we can. So there's 2,000 years between us and, and at least the New Testament writings, and far longer between the other. However, there's amazing historical research that's been done all those 2,000 years. So there's a lot of resources. This is why I recommend having a study Bible. So if it, do, it doesn't seem clear, you can kind of begin. There's sometimes footnotes or whatever that can guide you, okay? What is the Bible saying? But let's get more practical now. Two, what could this be teaching me? What is this teaching me? Remember, it's useful for teaching. So what is this particular passage teaching me about the gospel? What is it showing about Jesus? What is it showing me about the truths of, God, of the gospel? Okay? 
Thirdly, does this passage challenge how I normally think? So if it's in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor. Maybe my attitude, my thinking about poverty and richness needs to change. Okay? And then that's the next question. Um, Does this passage expose any areas where I'm in the wrong, where I'm living wrong, where I'm where I'm treating people poorly or whatever? Is it is it show is it exposing me in the wrong? Where I'm headed in the wrong direction? Am I headed towards that bend in the road, full throttle, and I don't see the, the you know the change? Okay, and then lastly, what is the right way to live and respond? So, in this passage, what is, is it showing me the better way? So, for example, I could use uh, Ephesians chapter five. You know. That tells us a better way. Instead of living selfishly, living for ourselves, is that, that, that husbands and wives would love and sacrifice and submit to each other. And that we try to outdo each other in loving and sacrificing each other for each other. That is a, a better way. Marriage does better, functions better, when we do it God's way. And so Paul tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful. It is useful to us. It is profitable. It is advantageous to us when we come to it and we use it. And so the challenge has been for us to be in God's word. You can just bring up a title for me. We would just simply be in God's word. Now, one of the practical things is actually just get in God's word. Begin to ask these simple questions. Okay? And one way we've, we've said that is instead of doing Bible roulette, what, you know, use a Bible plan. And so there are Bible plans. You can read through the Bible in a year. We said that that could take forever. It could take, and, and most people get, in, get into the Bible and they get into parts of the Old Testament and they give up because it's too hard. And so we, we challenge you guys a, a simple, easy way for you guys to jump in and get started. And so we challenge you. And one, one way we've done that, I don't have the screen, it's okay, is that you would go to uversion.com, U, Y-O-U, version.com, Download their app on any device for free. Whether you're uh, Apple, Android, Kindle, uh, any device, computers, PC or Mac or whatever. There's a free app, okay? And then they, in that app, they have Bible plans. And it'll say, it'll say plans, and you can search Essential 100. The Essential 100, and that's a Bible plan we've been using. It's 100 days. Real short readings that takes you all the way through the Bible. Okay, so that's our, our challenge to you. Now, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, your word. We thank you because it, not only is it valuable because it is your words, but it is useful. And so, Lord, I pray that, um, that you would give us hearts to long for and want to be in your word and help us to make your word useful in our lives. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would give us the diligence and the patience to do this. And, Lord, we thank you for the message of the Bible, that you sent your son Jesus to live a life we could never live, so that he could die a death that we perfectly deserved, so that we could be in perfect, loving relationship with you as our Father. And so we thank you for that. Pray in the name of Jesus, amen.